Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Teaching series that we're doing to close 2017 called Made for Mission. And the idea is simply this, that every human being has been designed by God to live a life that has purpose in it, that has meaning, that has mission to it. And that mission for all people, all created beings, is to bring glory and honor to that which has created you, God. To bring Him honor that He has done a good job in making us. But we have failed at that mission uh, as people. We have entered into the world and we've brought into the world sin. And so those of us who have been called back to God through Jesus Christ have been given a particular mission, a specific mission, a mandate, you might say. And that is to go into the world and make disciples of those who are not disciples, to go convert people to Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we've been trying to learn this past few weeks together. We spent the first half of our series talking about what it means to be prepared to go into that mission, that this mission is costly and it's urgent and it's important, and getting our minds ready to go into this mission. And we started two weeks ago transitioning where Matt began two weeks ago talking about where this mission goes or who we take this mission to, you might say. It was two weeks ago that Matt shared with you a story of Jesus and Peter showing you how Jesus took the mission of disciple-making to the wayward, meaning this, that Jesus does not give up on those who wander away from him that he keeps his heart in tune with those, that he cares about those who once walked with him but have gone sort of astray, Jesus' mission of disciple-making never leaves those people. He's always constantly thinking about them and pursuing them. Today, we're going to see the disciple-making mission find itself on the front door of a woman caught in adultery. The very act. We're going to call this today Mission to the broken. There's probably a lot of different words I could have used. I played around with several, but I'm just going to go today with how we bring the mission of disciple making to the broken. Now by broken, what I mean is those whose lives are in absolute turmoil, who are bound up by sin, who in every visible way that we observe in their life, look to be out of the reach of God's grace beyond, extreme. These are lives that are ruled by greed, you might say. And so they steal or they cheat. Lives that are ruled by lust, and so they indulge into pleasures constantly. Lives that are ruled by old wounds, and so they escape through temporary numbing of pain. Or lives that are ruled by pride, and so they're selfish, or liars, or backstabbers. And even people that are ruled by rage, and they harm other people. We're talking about people who are buried in an addiction and enslaved to sexual exploration. Thieves and cheaters. Yes, even murderers. And what we know is that the broken are everywhere. But what we must believe is that the broken are available to become disciples. There are many people in this room who have actually come from the camp of the broken and can testify to the crosshair of the grace of God 
and believers on a mission who have saved them from the fire. People who have experienced God's grace and have come in contact with other Christians who are not just complacent consumers, but active, missionary-minded Christians who are going to save people from their sin. And they have collided with those grace-filled people. And they are Christians today because people cared. So the question is this, that we're going to wrestle with for the few moments we have together. How do we bring the mission of disciple-making to those who are broken? Lives in turmoil. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn from Jesus' example here in John chapter 8, this really famous story in John chapter 8 about how Jesus brought the disciple-making mission to this woman caught in adultery. And we're going to learn first about Jesus' presence. Because if you notice, look in verse 2, Jesus is available, He's present. And this was not, in Jesus' life, a really comfortable and easy time. In fact, we see in this story a kind of reserved Jesus. This isn't vigilante Jesus who's kicking down doors and you know busting through walls and saying, I'm going to preach the gospel at people. This is a reserved Jesus because at this moment, it's pretty hostile for him in this environment. The Jews have already determined that they are going to kill him. His life is in danger. He is in serious trouble. And yet, even though times are hostile for Jesus... Look what he does in verse 2. It says that early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And people gathered around, and he began to teach them. You see, Jesus, instead of retreating away and escaping because things are hostile towards him, he remains faithfully present and active in his service. This is so vital to the example for us to see that even though times become hostile towards believers, even though people may not find it favorable for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ and to have the same mission, Jesus doesn't draw back and retreat in that moment. In fact, he just remains faithfully present. You see, Jesus' faithful presence and his continued service was his statement to this hostile world that he would not back down from his mission no matter what. Now, he was not screaming and shouting. He didn't have fierce words or scathing Facebook posts. He just was present and continued to serve and to care. He showed up again and again at the temple, and he patiently and he carefully taught. You see, Jesus wasn't kicking down doors, but he was patiently watching and waiting for God to open doors for him. And that point is important here because here's why. Jesus actually doesn't go seek out this woman caught in adultery, does he? He he didn't find her. He didn't go to her house and knock on her door or ring her doorbell and say, I heard you got some problems. I'm here to bring a mission to you. The mission is actually brought to him. And this is a subtle yet important point for you to understand, believer, is this. That when you are paying attention and you are faithfully present in your world and you are serving that there will be opportunities for the broken to be brought to you. You see, I think all of us in this room that are believers know that the broken in this world need Jesus Christ. 
I don't think there's a doubt about that. I don't think we look at the world and say they need some things, but probably not Jesus. But there's some other things that will help. That's not what we believe. There's this core belief that people who are broken and in turmoil, enslaved to sin, they need Jesus Christ. But we often don't believe or feel confident in how we access those situations. How do we actually make connection with those people? And how do we begin to make a difference or have an ability to help? We wonder maybe, are we supposed to walk into a bar or into a boardroom and point at a person who's drunk, maybe with alcohol or greed, and just demand that that person repents? Is that what we're supposed to do as believers? Well, I'm not sure that's necessarily how we're supposed to do it. You see, I believe that we reach the broken by having a faithful presence and maintaining faithful service in a world in which we live. And when you and I are available in serving God, He will open doors for opportunity. Point number one, Jesus was present. He didn't hide. Number two, Jesus' posture. His posture. Now, presence gives you opportunity, but your posture is going to empower this opportunity. See, posture is a physical word. That's where it started. It began with our bodies. You know, I have a, maybe a tall posture or a hunched over posture. Or I'm kneeling or I'm standing. But that word posture has moved its way over into the intellectual and mental realm. And now it begins to describe things like our attitude and our spirit. What kind of posture do you have? How do you approach things? That's what posture really has begun to mean. And when they bring Jesus, or I'm sorry, when they bring this woman to Jesus, he does something really strange with his body, his posture. Look down in verse 6. In verse 6 it says this, After they brought to this woman to the man and they said, The law of Moses commands that we should stone her. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down with his body and he began to write on the ground with his finger. Verse 7 says, As they continued to ask him, as they were asking him, How are we going to kill her? Are you going to kill her? Do we need to condemn her? Then Jesus in verse 7 says, Stood up. He knelt down, and then he stood up. You see, as they pressed him to condemn her, his body changed. And his body posture is really demonstrating to him and to us his mental posture, his attitude. You see, to the broken, Jesus kneels to serve. Pardon me. There we go. Did it work? Yep. To the broken, Jesus in his posture kneels to serve them. But to the accusers, Jesus stands to defend. You see, Jesus' posture here is very important. And it makes all the difference. In fact, I believe it is his posture that allows him to break through and make a difference with this broken, sinful woman. Imagine this woman caught in adultery, seeing a teacher at the temple. She probably feels absolutely no connection with him. No ability to make any inroads there. No ability to have any relationship. And Jesus, when she's in his presence, he kneels down before her and in the crowd. And when they accuse her, he stands up to defend her. You see, for so long, I'm afraid, Christians, that we have gotten this backwards at times. Whether it's fair or not, the criticism that is oftentimes levied against believers and levied against the church, whether it's true or not, is things like, those people think they're better than me. 
Or those people, all they do is judge me. Or they, they're holier than thou. They think they're superior. They don't sin. All they do is judge. Those are the criticisms that are lobbed at us from people who are not yet Christians. Oftentimes those who are entrapped in sin. Whether it's true or not, that's the criticism. I'm not, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying that's what comes. Now look at Jesus' life. His life made every effort to disarm that criticism. Even at the expense of being labeled by the religious in his community as a sinner. Now remember, how many times was Jesus accused by Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, civic leaders? As a man who eats and drinks with sinners, what kind of guy is this? If he really knew, as he said in Luke chapter 7 when he was at the dinner with the Pharisee, that Pharisee thought in his mind when the prostitute was washing his feet, if he really knew the kind of woman she was, he would not be around her. You see, Jesus was constantly being criticized by the religious because he was working to end that claim that the religious don't care. You see, his posture to serve this woman, address her needs, to lift her up to a better life, and defend her against those who wanted to tear her down, says two really important things about this. And you and I, when we get our posture right towards those who are lost, will begin to have an effect. Here's what it says. First of all, the first thing it says is that it restores the focus. Now, who were these Pharisees and scribes really focused on in this story? They were focused on themselves and who? Jesus. Did they care about this woman? Did they care about the law of Moses being upheld in all of its righteousness? She was a pawn in their game of superiority and conquering of Jesus Christ. She was being used by them. She wasn't the attention. She wasn't the focus. They didn't care about her. And see, when Jesus kneels before her and writes in the ground patiently, and then when he stands to these accusers, what he's saying is, what matters right now is a woman who is thinking adultery is better than life with God. That's what matters. You're here to pick a fight with me and to think that you want to be more important in the temple or try to get rid of me. That's not what matters. Religious banter and political battles in church do not matter. People who need Jesus Christ need to be served and need to be the focus. And Jesus in his posture restores the focus to this woman. Secondly, Jesus, pardon me, recovers her dignity. She's a human being. Ripped out, this most likely was a staged event, People, these Pharisees probably knew what was going on. They probably even let it happen because they bust through this house, take this woman caught in the act of adultery. How do they know it was happening, right? Leave the man, drag the woman, probably with some bedsheet around her, and throw her in front of Jesus. She, in this moment, has no dignity. She sees herself, most likely, as less than human because she is being treated as someone who is less than human. You see, oftentimes, we can make people who are broken down, entrapped and enslaved in sin, feel like less than human. If you are made in the image of God, which every human being is made in the image of God, you have God-given dignity and respect. And Jesus is restoring and recovering her dignity as a human being. The only person exempt in this entire story in John chapter 8, from being hit with a stone upon, until they're dead, is Jesus Christ. 
And his point when he says there is, he who is without sin, let that person cast the first stone. What Jesus is doing is breathing life back into this woman and restoring her dignity as a human. He's saying the only person in this place, in this room right now, who doesn't deserve to be hit by a stone is me. You accusers, you righteous, you religious, stones could be thrown at you too. And one by one they drop the stones and they walk away. So we see Jesus faithfully present. We see his posture towards this woman to make the focus about her and restore her dignity. You see, finding and focusing on the broken is good, but it's not actually what makes a disciple. It's not just Jesus' presence, nor is it his posture. It has to be ultimately his proclamation, what he tells her. Jesus is going to tell this woman something that's going to begin the process of her becoming a disciple. You see, there's a difference between comforting people and converting people. And Christians, we need to be present. We need to have a posture that is inviting and hospitable. But there's a difference between just comforting people and pressing them into conversion. And that's where it matters. Jesus does that. We still have a message to proclaim, and we see from Jesus a message he has for this woman. If you look down in verses 10 and 11, he has a message for her, and here's the message. Number one is this. Your future triumphs over your past. Message number one of the gospel is this. What God is worried about, what he's focused about, what his attention is on, is your future, not your past. He tells this woman, go, go. Meaning, where you are right now, I want you to move forward. I want you to move ahead. Go. And when you go, leave this life of sin behind. You see, Jesus is saying to her, move forward, look ahead, leave your sin behind you. And what's amazing about this is her sin is probably less than one hour old. How often do we, whether we are the ones broken and caught in sin or working with somebody in sin, wonder how long are we supposed to sit in this, right? Sackcloth and ashes. How long are we supposed to punish ourselves before we're allowed to move forward? How long do we have to be you know, beating ourselves up before we can move to the next step. And there's this sense in which Satan gets his teeth into us because he holds us for not just day, hours and days, but weeks and months. And Jesus in this moment with our sin less than an hour old says, go forward because your future is what I'm worried about. It triumphs over your past. And so Jesus here saying, I want to offer you a better future. I want you to move forward Church, we cannot forget this message. This has to be our message to those who are lost in sin. There is a better future for you without sin. That's the message of the gospel. You have a better future. And even if it's fresh, this needs to be our message. But, it, but sin must be forgotten. But the question is this, how? How is this woman going to move forward? You see, I think if we're all honest with each other, we know that that's a hard thing to do. That especially when you're fresh in sin and you're struggling, it's hard to move forward. And the question is how or why is it so hard maybe? You see, this woman is stuck in her sin. She's lost in her sin. And Jesus wants her to move forward, just like we want to move forward from our sin. But there's something that just sort of anchors us down and holds us back. And that is the second message that we've got to hear from Jesus. The thing that unhinges us and lets us move forward. The thing that removes us from our past. And propels us into our future. And that's this. You are not condemned. 
Now listen to me. If you struggle with sin, returning over and over to the same sin, there's a message that you need to hear that unhinges you from being anchored to that sin. And that message is you are not condemned. The word condemned means to bring down the judgment which will bring forth a sentence. And when we get caught in sin or we are lost in our sin, there's oftentimes this righteousness that's in us that says we deserve to be punished. And so instead of taking punishment, what we do is we never let it go. And that's actually what anchors you to return back to sin over and over. Whether it's severe addiction to something or whether it's lying or stealing, the reason we come back to sin is because we haven't heard this beautiful message to this particular problem. You are not condemned. You're not. You see, Jesus is saying, you are forgiven. Now, if you're paying attention and you're thinking about this, like, yeah, that sounds good. Not condemned. Let's move forward to the future. Here's the million-dollar question this morning. Did Jesus, in John chapter 8, break the law of Moses? What do you think? Leviticus chapter 20 specifically commands, caught in adultery, stones, here they come. We need to keep Israel pure. It needs to be right. We've got to make an example. We've got to punish people to deter others from sinning. And so, righteously... The law says, when you commit adultery, stones come and you die. Here's my question for you this morning. Jesus looked at her, lost in sin, and said, you're not condemned. Go free. Did he break the law? Did he take the law and brush it under the rug and say, let's not worry about it today? You guys understand, she's in a tough spot. She's had some difficulties in life. Let's just brush the law to the side and move forward. Is that what Jesus is saying? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't break the law that day. In fact, he knew how he could release her from that sin. You see, the law demanded that because of her sin, somebody had to die. And when Jesus said, woman, look at me, where are your accusers? They're gone? I don't condemn you either. Go. You are not condemned. Live for the future. Live without your sin. He said that without breaking the law because he knew that that sin would have a death attached to it. He knew that he would stand in her place, absorb the death that she deserved. And so when he said, you're not condemned, he didn't make God unjust. In fact, he held himself up as the sacrifice in which God would be just to judge that sin. That little sentence, you are not condemned, cost him his life. And when it rolled off his tongue and he looked at her and said, go free, young lady, and live in grace, he knew that that put him on the cross. Wow. And so Jesus had a proclamation that your future triumphs your past and you are not condemned. But this woman had a proclamation too. You notice what they call Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes? They call him teacher, consultant, educator, information spreader, you might say. I'll consider what you have to say, Jesus. You're a teacher, that's fine. But she doesn't call him teacher. Although he's teaching in the temple, she doesn't call him teacher. She calls him Lord, Savior. 
my master, the one in whom I'll give my life to. And you have to ask yourself, really, how many of you have really had a moment like this with Jesus? Pause for a minute. Whether you are the woman in this story or whether you are the Pharisees and the scribes, how many of you have had a moment like this with Jesus? Where you are so aware of your sin, you can taste it. Where you can sense the eyes of the world piercing through you, staring at you like this woman, naked and shivering, where everyone knows, and you're all alone, and you're scared to death. Where there's nowhere to turn and no one to blame but yourself, and you know your wretchedness, and you know what you deserve. You've had this moment where you're standing in front of God, overcome with fear, angry at yourself, in despair, overcome with regret, and you hear, but I don't condemn you. And you know why he doesn't condemn you. Because he died for you. And you don't just hear it as a religious person say, yeah, 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 but I can't forgive myself. That's a person who hears but doesn't believe you're not condemned. But in this moment, it sinks just a little bit deeper. And the weight that presses on your shoulders, that compresses down on your heart, that burdens your mind, and saddens your emotions, is all of a sudden lifted. For the first time, you feel deep, overwhelming forgiveness. You are not condemned. And when you do, I'm convinced that you, like this woman, will look at Jesus and say, run my life. I give it to you. Everything I am is yours. Everything in the future, I want you to run because nobody has ever loved me like you. And when we get that message, we as broken, just like the Pharisees were, will begin to be healed. And we'll finally have a message to bring to the broken so they can be healed. If you need that today, let's stand and sing. You can come.